Well, hello and welcome to the Informed Traveler Podcast, a travel podcast where our goal is to help you become a more informed traveler. And I'm your host, Randy Sharman. So one question that's been on my mind through this COVID-19 pandemic has been, where are the airlines parking all of those grounded aircraft these days? Well, one place I discovered is at Calgary International Airport. So we'll find out just what it takes to park all those jets and get an update on the effect the COVID outbreak has had on airports around the country. We're also going to talk with the folks from Parks Canada and update you on the closure of the national parks across the country and what it means for you. And a bit later, we'll chat with travel writer Carol Patterson about her recent blog on the Family Fun Canada website called Birdwatching 101. It's something you can do in any city, town, or country, or even in your own backyard. But to start things off, like I said, I've been curious as to where the airlines have had to park all those grounded jets these days. Well, I found out the one place is Calgary International Airport. So to tell us what it takes to park all those planes and get an update on the effect the COVID outbreak has had on airports around the country, we're joined now by Reed Feist. He's the manager of external communications and media relations for the Calgary Airport Authority. The website is yyc.com. Hi, Reed. Hi, Randy. Thanks for having me. Uh, well, thanks for doing this. I've been reading a lot about uh, where these uh, airlines are parking their jets around the world. I'm assuming, well, YYC, maybe I shouldn't assume, but YYC has a lot of space. Are you part of the solution, too? Yeah, you know, I mean, like all airports and like all partners in the response to this pandemic, you know, we're, we're supporting our airline partners as they adjust their schedule. So, yeah, so as you say, we... We proactively uh, started coming up with with a way that our team could support airlines with space to park unused aircraft uh, on different aprons and different taxiways that that aren't being used at YYC. Well, it's easy to say parking an aircraft uh, easier said than done. <laughs> Without getting too technical, yeah. what is well, who who reaches out first and and how do you park the things? Yeah, well, I mean, one, I don't, although I think it would be pretty cool to do. But, uh, you know, so, so what we do is, is the airlines have come to us and said, you know, we need space for an X number uh, of aircraft. Um, so we, we work uh, with our planning team and, and our crews on the airfield to go, where can we park aircraft uh, safely and not impact operations to, to the runway and keeping the airport open? So the airlines um, then are responsible for, for basically taxiing or, or pulling those aircraft uh, to those spaces. You know, we, our crews uh, basically pilot them to those areas. And, uh, and then the, the aircraft are, are left there. The, the airline does all the preparations that it needs to do with that aircraft, depending if it's going to be sitting there for some time mm-hmm. or, or, or whether they, they want it available to, to continue to use it with their altered schedule. Yeah, uh, that's the other thing I, I, I noted, too, when reading up about this, is that it's not just like parking a car. Like, it, <laughs> there's a lot more involved to parking an aircraft for some length of time, isn't there? Yeah, like, as I understand, I mean, obviously, you know, we've all flown in aircraft, there are water lines, and there are different things like that, that it in the elements could be affected. So, you know, they make all those preparations, and then, you know, batten them up uh, to, to be out there for an extended amount of time. You know, most of the airlines in Canada, you know, have, have adjusted their schedules for the next month, at least. And um, so, you know, we expect to be seeing um, aircraft on, on those different areas of, of YYC for some time. Mm-hmm. You know, currently we have about 35 aircraft uh, parked on our airfield. 
And, um, you know, depending on the size of aircraft, you know, we, we have room for between 60 and, and 100. Must be quite a sight, quite an operation to watch moving all those aircraft yeah. around, I would think. Yeah, I, I wasn't on the airfield as they're being moved, but I know this week, you know, I, I did go out, um, at least from some of our maintenance centers, just to see. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, 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 is, it is pretty stark to see those aircraft sitting there, you know, as an airport, you know, we're in the business of moving people and, and cargo safely and, uh, and securely. And so, you know, for us, it, it's tough to see it. And, and we know that mm-hmm. there are impacts beyond those aircraft, um, you know, with people, uh, people being affected as well. Well, that is for sure. That's the serious side of it. When those planes are parked, that's mean, that means they're not in the air and that affects operations uh, with your terminals, everything, doesn't it? Yeah. So, you know, this week we, we made some decisions to, to basically scale back uh, the footprint of our of our building because there simply isn't the volume of passengers. You know, this this dramatic change uh, and pandemic, you know, we've seen basically traveler volume drop off by over 90 percent. And this is usually a pretty busy time of the year around March spring break. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we've essentially shut down two concourses our concourses A and D, and then all of our domestic uh, flights are going out of two concourses, and then um, any international flights are also going out of a gate in that concourse, and then the limited service to the U.S. remains out of that terminal. But, you know, YYC is, is usually a bustling place. Um, I know, you know, in my experience walking through the terminal this week, it is very quiet. I can only imagine uh, a ghost town because, again, like I, like I said, it affects everything right from, you know, car rentals, taxis, uh, food and beverage, retail, everything, right? It's just almost, it's horrifying yeah. almost, right? Yeah, and, and we talked about parking aircraft. You, know, you mentioned car rentals. You know, we, we've also had to assist our car rental partners in, in parking those cars. Mm-hmm, you know, I suppose. Summer, springtime is, is a big time for their business. And so, you know, we understand they usually ramp up and bring in more vehicles. But, uh, you know, we have, we have lots that are usually overflow of lots that are, are usually pretty empty. And they are full, mm-hmm. bumper to bumper of, of rental cars as well, right? And mm-hmm. and then and then the other parts of our parking lot right now are are also pretty empty because of passenger volume. So, yeah. you know, I mean, there are business impacts, and we are certainly feeling them. Um, and um, but you know, right now we we continue to focus on keeping the airport running safely and securely, and and you know, focusing on on getting people back home if if they're still trying to do that. Um, and and all the while trying to keep people as safe as possible. Mm-hmm, for sure. Uh, well, here's to uh, better times ahead. Uh, Reed Feist is the manager of external communications and media relations for the Calgary Airport Authority. Uh, lots of info on their website, yyc.com. Anything you want to add uh, last few seconds, Reed? No, I, thanks for your interest. And, you know, I, I want to make a call out to all of our frontline workers and all the airlines, frontline workers, security, uh, retail who are still in the terminal. Uh, you know, they're out there uh, serving the community and getting people to where they need to be. And uh, we, we have to thank them for their hard work and being there as well. For sure. Thanks for your time, Reed. Appreciate it. Thanks, Randy.
Well, recently, Parks Canada announced the temporary closure of all of Canada's national parks due to the COVID outbreak. So what does that really mean for you? To explain it further, we're joined now by Ed Jagger. He is the Director of Visitor Experience for Parks Canada. Their website is pc.gc.ca. Hi, Ed. Hi, Randy. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Uh, Let's start uh, with the announcement that came out last week. Parks Canada temporarily suspending uh, operations and access to uh, Canada's national parks. What does that mean, actually, though? So, currently... Um, all of our visitor services have been suspended. All of our facilities are closed, except in some very exceptional circumstances. And we've closed all of the parking lots. Um, so we have many locations where there's a road that goes through the park and people can still drive through the park, but they can't actually park anywhere because those parking lots would be closed. Mm-hmm. So and now, it's one thing to say that you're closing a park, but they're parks, right? There's no uh, fences. It's not like closing a building up, right? So how difficult is this? Um, I think um, the question really is, like, like it's almost an emotional question, right, mm-hmm. Randy? Like, like for our uh, team members, um, you know, they live and breathe uh, these amazing places, um, you know, they work really hard to make sure that they're protected and they work really hard to make sure that um, people can come and visit them. So partly the biggest, in some ways, the biggest part of the challenge is, um, you know, just shifting our focus and, and understanding that the right thing to do now um, for all Canadians is to limit access, to limit the offer to opportunities for um, public gatherings, um, to limit the opportunities where people are not respecting, you know, physical distancing measures Mm -hmm. and doing that in order to protect all Canadians, um, including, you know, people who um, were our visitors and should not be visiting now and also including all the Parks Canada team members. And on your website, too, is a vast amount of uh, information that basically kind of answers just about everybody's questions. You mentioned parking lots, but uh, it goes beyond that. Uh, the kiosks, the visitor centers, uh, even the washrooms and change rooms, those types of things. Anything you, you can think of, basically, that a visitor would use is now uh, off limits, right? Yes, exactly. And so, you know, there's really not an opportunity. The facilities aren't in place. Um, you know, we also need to remember that search and rescue uh, services are limited. And, you know, really, you do not want to be coming to a park right now and doing something that's, you know, unwise and getting hurt and then needing to be uh, moved into the healthcare system, right? Mm-hmm. Like we can, you know, as you start to just think about, you know, the people that you are putting at risk because, you know, you have search and rescue and first responder staff that are now, you know, undertaking their work and their work means that they need to put extra precautions in place. And then, you know, if you then end up in the medical system and, you know, we've heard the stories where there's just a high percentage of cases that are in the medical system that are related to COVID-19. So then you're putting yourself at risk of, uh, you know, being in contact. So, you know, really you need to be very conservative if, um, you're going to go out anywhere mm-hmm. um, in a natural space. Well, I think people forget that too. There is a, a vast uh, array, a uh, network of people that look after the parks and are behind the scenes kind of thing that uh, people don't even realize when they're taking a hike, for example, or using some of the facilities, right? 
Oh, absolutely, right? So, you know, we do, we have also folks that are responsible for monitoring uh, the ecosystem and, you know, they need to be taking specific measures to do that work. We have road and highway maintenance crews and, you know, they continue to their work because they're also keeping the public safe, but they also have to take those precautions to make sure that they're safe and they're keeping the other folks that they're in contact in their daily lives safe as well. So, you know, it really does, you know, you know, this situation, the the COVID-19 pandemic, it really sort of has tentacles that reach into all the work that we do. Mm-hmm. Well, and again, one of the questions on here, can people walk or bike in the parks? Well, yeah, but we don't want you to, right? Basically is what you're well, saying. Yeah. And I mean, that's a, that's a hard message to convey because, um, there's some subtlety there, right? Like yeah. we have locations where uh, people live, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, people live in Banff, they live in Jasper. Um, we also have locations where it's kind of the backyard of, of people that live around the park. And, you know, those people, when they leave their house and they go for a walk and they walk in the park, um, that's not an issue, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the issue is is that we people cannot be driving to these places and then going for a hike. And, you know, we, you know, we see like the best example is, you know, the mayors of Banff and Canmore, these towns where, you know, tourism is essential to what they do. And they're out there telling the public, please do not visit us. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're totally on board with that. Um, And, you know, we're very comfortable with a, a person who lives in a, lives in or beside a park, leaving their home and going for a walk but just don't drive, don't go to a public area, a public parking lot, um, and then go for your walk. That's yeah. where you create issues. Exactly. Uh, now, what about people who have uh, camping reservations or other accommodations uh, prior to this? What happens with them? So what we've done, the measure we've already taken is um, that anyone who had a reservation and they would be arriving before April 30th, we've refunded them mm-hmm. um, their full reservation fee. Um, and we've also stopped taking any new reservations. So anyone who's called or, or gone online to try to make a reservation, um, currently, if you went online, you could not make a reservation. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, as you're aware, this, this situation is um, ever-changing. Um, we're probably going to be settling in in Canada into sort of this a new normal in terms of um, an on, the ongoing effort to, reduce, to limit the spread. Um, and we're as Parks Canada, like we're monitoring that situation all the time. Like, mm-hmm. it's, like um, it's not daily. It's not. It's like all the time that we're looking at that, and we'll be making decisions as we see um, the advice from public health experts changing as to whether we extend that um, cancellation and refund process out um, uh, another month or another weeks or, or such, we'll be making that decision when um, we have enough information and when it's appropriate. Uh, and that's uh, uh, reservations that were made prior to April 30th. Now, if I have a reservation, I don't know, uh, July, that reservation is still in place? Yeah, that reservation uh, stays in place. Um, you know, we're certainly going to be understanding of um, folks, uh, you know, We've had calls from people who are in Europe and they're saying like, Mm. you know, the situation for me is such that I, you know, I'm not going to be able to visit. And we would treat them the same way we uh, treated uh, visitors in the past when they, you know, had very specific and legitimate reasons uh, to cancel their uh, reservation. And then we would work with them to come to a good solution. Um, 
my advice to people right now, if they had a reservation, would um, not be to cancel it um, and just, you know, hold tight for the time being. And, um, you know, we, you know, we're reasonable as an organization. Um, we try to be reasonable and provide mm-hmm. a high level of customer service. So um, we're not going to be using this as an opportunity to treat our um, our valued visitors uh, poorly. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine the same goes for if you have an annual pass. Um, if you have one, that's going to be extended? Yeah, so the approach that we're taking with our annual passes um, is that we're going to extend them for the period of time at least equivalent to the um, suspension of services and the closure of facilities. So, um, you know, we don't know how long that's going to be yet. Um, and once we do know how long, then we'll be making that adjustment. And, um, you know, we, we will, again, you know, we're, we're a reasonable organization. We're going to mm-hmm. take the right decision and we're going to, you know, keep our, um, our valued visitors whole in terms of their decision to purchase our pass. We really appreciate that. And we're not looking at this as an opportunity to to treat them poorly. Mm-hmm. Well, lots of information on the Parks Canada website. It's pc.gc.ca. Ed Jagger is the Director of Visitor Experience with Parks Canada. Let's uh, keep our fingers crossed that uh, this uh, ends uh, as soon as possible. We can get back to uh, whatever is the next normal uh, way of life. Yeah, I, I really do hope that you know we we work together as a as a country and make the right decisions and. Um, you know, we come out of this, you know, better and people can come back and visit these wonderful places. Thanks, Ed. Appreciate it. Take care. Well, one activity you can do during all of this self-isolation and personal distancing is bird watching. It's something you can do in any city, any town or country, or even in your own backyard or from your own kitchen window. It's a very popular activity, and travel writer Carol Patterson recently wrote about it on the Family Fun Canada website. It's called Birdwatching 101 in any city, town or country. Hi, Carol. Hello, Randy. I'm excited to learn all about birdwatching, although I don't, uh, I wouldn't call myself a bird watcher, but... There is uh, a bird feeder outside our uh, window, and obviously birds come by, so I watch them. Does that make me a bird watcher? <laughs> well, according to the statisticians, yes, it does, but you're not unlike a lot of people who have bird watchers or bird feeders or have watched a bird but who don't identify themselves as a bird watcher. So that was one of the reasons I wrote the story was to try and give people an idea of things they could do while they maybe have time on their hands. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a great hobby that you can take with you on the road when you can travel again. Well, that's for sure, because it's true. Like you say in your article, it's Birdwatching 101, by the way, in any city, town, or country, or even in your backyard, I would add. It's on the Family Fun Canada website, familyfuncanada.com. So uh, how did you get involved then? Oh, I was, uh, I was like you, a little reluctant to throw myself into the birdwatching crowd. Uh, I always associate it with people that were, you know, older and grayer, and, uh, and it was, I always thought it was rather boring, you know, uh, trying to get to that level of detail. And um, what happened for me, actually, I think I picked it up while going on, like, an African safari. And as a friend of mine pointed out, um, Brian Keating, he said, you know, birdwatching is a really cool thing to do in between the large animals coming by. 
And so I took it up, I guess, sort of as a way to kill time in between some of the other things I was looking for. And uh, I never really dropped it. Um, It just became more interesting. And it's something I've discovered I can do, you know, when I'm at a bus stop, when I go for a walk, um, when I'm in my office. And once you start looking at birds or for birds, it totally changes the way you look at the landscape. And it's made me a better writer, and I think it's made me a better traveler. Hmm. Well, interesting. I do know it's very popular. Um, you know, like, I again, I, w- I wouldn't say I'm a bird watcher, but I could see the appeal because you're outdoors and you're, you know, if you're going through even a stroll through the city or your local neighborhood, there's always birds around, right? Yep. No, there is. And some of them we don't think of as being very cool, like, say, a magpie or a crow. Um, but yet those are some of the smartest birds. And if you take the time to learn more about them, you actually look at them a little bit differently. It's funny you mentioned magpies and crows because <laughs> I don't have to go very far to see those. That's for sure in my neighborhood because they're always around. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But it, have you ever really watched what they do? Because they're real social creatures and they're, they're a bit like humans. You know, they like to share what they know with their friends. And so if you ever watch um, crows, they'll often, you know, you'll see them looking, you know, at a bird feeder or a bird bath, or mm-hmm. you see them looking at a pond, and, and one will jump down and, and start splashing them out in the water, and before long, the rest of the gang is there. Hmm. And you'll see in the evenings, a lot of crows fly to the west. Researchers couldn't figure out why they were gathering these large numbers, because it doesn't make sense from an ecological perspective, because there wouldn't be enough food for that many birds. And what they have come to hypothesize is that they're actually sharing information and sort of scoping out potential mates um, and gathering daily to sort of share where the good feeding areas are. Really? Socialize. Yeah. Interesting. So even the crow can be a cool creature to watch. Well, for sure. So, okay, so now how do I become a better bird watcher? Then you have some tips uh, on this uh, article here. Right. Well, I was thinking um, right now, because so many people are trying to self-isolate, or in some cases they've been quarantined, mm. um, that getting a bird feeder and putting it out your window, wherever that might be, you can, if you're in an apartment, you can stick it on a window. Um, if you have a tree, put it in a tree. Uh, try to keep it up high enough so if there's any loose cats, that the birds aren't sitting ducks. Uh, but you can get a bird feeder. Um, you can order one on Amazon, but Hopefully you'd have time or somebody could run to a bird store for you or a pet store, get a bird feeder and some bird seed, put it out and start watching. And before long, you'll start to notice that some birds are bigger than others and some are different colors and some have different beaks. And by starting with just those simple observations, uh, you can identify what the birds are. And once you get past the crows and the magpies, it gets a little harder to identify (laughs) them. But in the article, I, I mentioned this free app that you can get called Merlin. And I think it's a, a wizard of an app, not only named for one, but it's extremely helpful for anybody that's interested in this topic because all you have to do is be able to put in some information like where did you see the bird, and it will find it on your phone, like the location. Mm-hmm. Uh, what color is it? How big is it? And what was it doing when you saw it? And then it will spit out a list based on the database of the bird's most likely to be in your area. And it has pictures of them. So all you have to do is scroll through the list of pictures and go, Eureka, it's a house finch. Um, and you've got your birds. So you'll wow. learn, but you don't have to flip through. Like when I started, you had to have a bird book and you had yeah. to have ducks from your tanagers and all the rest of it. And now it's easy, easy. You just have to pull out this app and look at it, and there's your bird. So. You can do that all day long. Yeah. Well, now, do more experienced bird watchers, do they have a list of birds they they go out and look for? 
Uh, yes. <laughs> you, you, you can take this hobby all the way to extremes. Uh, some people, we call them listers. You know, they have a life list and they keep track of every bird species. Yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah, and, and we call some of those people twitchers, you know, because they twitch. They see a bird, they have to go see that bird. Um, but you don't have to get into that level of enthusiasm to have a good experience bird watching. Um, you can take it on a hike if you're or a walk around the city, even while you're self-isolating. There's a lot of birds coming through Canada right now because mm-hmm. of the migration. So there's always something different happening every day. And then, like I say, when you're able to travel again, looking into places where there is uh, birds um, can be really interesting. So, you know, Vancouver Island right now, there's brant geese going, or brant, they're not technically a goose, um, are migrating along the coast there. And they have a wildlife festival with a theme of the brant uh, associated with it. But there's other activities like art and culinary activities that you can normally take part in. So right now, not so much, but on a good year, uh, you can find a lot of really interesting travel opportunities linked to uh, to bird activity or bird spotting. Mm-hmm. And I guess, well, uh, technically all you really need is a good pair of binoculars, right? Is that it? Yeah, yeah. Binoculars really help. Um, initially, you can just, I guess, look. But uh, once you really decide you want to look at birds, um, a pair of binoculars, usually about $100, $150 will get you started. Um, and then from there, you can, if you want, you could go into spotting scopes. But those are... I'd say that's for the really keen people that have kind of gone to the dark side. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the amateur, a simple pair of binoculars will do you just fine. And like I say, the phone app really will help a lot, the Merlin Bird Guide. And I guess the more you do this, you, like you say in your article, you can listen for bird calls and you can pick out which birds are which simply by, you know, their sounds, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that becomes, that's quite challenging. Um, I'm working on that myself, but it's a, uh, it's one of those things like learning the language, you know, what bird is there. But once you start doing that, you can sometimes tell what birds are in an area without actually seeing them. And I bet lots of your listeners have heard owls and not seen them. But there's a certain thrill in knowing that you're walking through a forest where there is an owl present, even if you don't actually see it. Mm-hmm. Now that you mentioned owls, uh, when you're driving down the highway, owls and hawks, uh, you can see them along the, uh, the the highways, right? They're they're usually sitting on top of telephone poles and power lines and things like that. Uh, yes, <laughs> sometimes you can get a really good look at them. Um, there have been cases of people hitting those birds when they fly across the road, but they do tend to, in the spring especially, um, they're looking for those gophers, you know, the ones that come out and sit on the side of the road and mm-hmm. then get run over and that's a good snack for them. So um, they can come into conflict with the cars. But uh, the the roadway is a good place to look for wildlife, and, and that's something you can do if you're out, you know, on a drive, is just keep an eye out for the hawks and the owls that are along the road. And um, the mountain bluebirds are back, so you can also look for those along roadways as well. They like fences. And if you look in the foothills west of Calgary, you will see small birdhouses along a lot of these uh, ranch fences. Mm-hmm. And those are for the mountain bluebirds. And they come back early. So they're already coming in to the area. And so if you happen to be out in that part of the world, uh, you may see a bluebird. Very nice. Well, uh, now I feel uh, a little bit more knowledgeable about bird watching. So next time I look at a bird, 
I'll look at it more closely and see if I can pick out some of the things. Uh, Carol Patterson, travel writer and blogger. Her uh, post, uh, Bird Watching 101 in any city, town, or country, is on the Family Fun Canada website, familyfuncanada.com. Thanks for your uh, time, Carol. Appreciate it. You're welcome. And that is this week's Informed Traveler podcast. I want to thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, take a minute, rate the show, leave us a review, and tell a friend about the podcast. And if you want to drop me a line, my email address is randy at theinformedtraveler.ca. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash informedtraveler, or you can follow me on Twitter at informedtraveler.com.